Welcome to the Sharp Angles Podcast. I'm Ryan McChrystal, joined today by Curtis Hirsch. And it's NFL draft season, so we're going to dive into some draft talk. Um, If you've been following me on Twitter or following me on the website, you know that I just released my first mock draft earlier this week. And obviously, we've got the Combine starting this week, so this is really the meat of draft season. So Curtis and I are here to talk about the mock draft, talk about some draft news, and we'll really uh, dive into things and get things started here. Curtis, how you doing? Yeah, very good. Thanks for having me on today. And yeah, the the non-existent offseason continues here in the NFL world. So I uh, definitely took a look at your draft mock draft that was released on Monday. And before we get to it, there was some interesting news yesterday. I know it was a player you're lower than consensus on even be- prior to the news. But tell me a little bit about Jalen Carter, why you were a bit lower on him prior to yesterday and how you think this might shake out. Yeah, so obviously, if somehow you missed the news, Jalen Carter was, um, and a warrant was issued for his arrest, and he actually turned himself in, I believe it was late, uh, late Wednesday night, for basically, I forget the exact wording of the charges, but basically for participating in a road race, which led to the death of his teammate and another staffer on the football team earlier this offseason, shortly after Georgia won the national championship. Um, Both of the charges that were filed were misdemeanors which sort of makes this complicated from a lot of different angles. Um, on one hand, he participated in an event that led to two people's deaths. Like that's something that he has to live with forever, that he is going to answer a ton of questions about leading up to the draft. Um, and, you know, throughout his career, you know, it's not something that's ever going to go away. Participating in something like this is always going to be something that he's going to have to talk about throughout his career. That said, it does not sound like this is the type of thing where he is going to, you know, be away from football for an extended period of time. Um, So it could potentially, he could, he and his agent could potentially talk to teams and teams could get comfortable with this as a really terrible decision that he made one night. And it could end up having minimal impact on his draft stock. That's within the realm of possibility, I think, because, because the charges are not as serious as they were with a case like Henry Ruggs, where the charges that he was facing obviously raised that to a higher degree. Um, This is not that case. So if he's not going to be away from football necessarily, maybe teams get spend time with him this off season over the next, you know, two months or so, and they get comfortable with him. But the other thing that really complicates this is there, even before this incident happened, we were already hearing talk about Jalen Carter does he have some character concerns in the locker room? Is he tough to get along with? Is, is the work ethic there? I believe the first time this was really publicly addressed on a big stage was um, Todd McShay brought it up in early December. And obviously he got a lot of backlash, mostly from Georgia fans at the time and from some of Jalen Carr's teammates who stood up for him. But I've been, I've been doing this a long time. This is my 20th year covering the draft. And the one thing I will say is when character concerns gets mentioned about somebody, there is always something behind it. There's always some truth to it. However, it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to affect the player's draft stock, and it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to affect the player's career. Like, we just watched Frank Clark win a Super Bowl. <laughs> like, yep. Frank Clark has been a very good player in the league despite massive red flags about his character that come up time and time again from the time he was in high school to as recently as, well, like a year, a year and a half ago or something where the most recent weapons charges against him. Like, Frank Clark is not a good dude, but he's a really good football player. And 
you know, the off field stuff with him has never really impacted his ability to be a great football player. So people put up with him. So the fact that all this stuff is out there with Jalen Carter, the fact that we now have an incident, like a very direct incident proving that he at, at best is a questionable decision maker. Like teams are going to have pause with him. Like this is, it's going to be hard. I should say it's going to be harder for him to convince teams that this was an isolated incident because now teams were probably already hearing some of the other stuff and they're really going to dig deep now and ask him really tough questions. The other thing that, so obviously when news like this breaks, sometimes I'll update a mock draft and I considered doing that. Um, but then I was like, man, I just, I just don't know. There's just too much. We don't know about how teams are going to react to it. And one of the things that I felt like I'll just, I figured I'll just, I'll just wait until after the combine. Cause obviously other stuff is going to change. And one of the things that I felt like I needed to wait to hear some rumors about was, did he talk to teams beforehand? And if he did, he, he probably has had some conversations with teams. What did he say? Like, did he and his agents give them any kind of heads up about this? Like he knew this was out there. Like he may have been hoping the charges didn't get filed, but he knew that there was an investigation into him. Like you don't just get this sprung on you. So did it, did teams have a heads up about this? Did he try, did he already lie about it before the charges were even filed? Like that's something that, you know, the, how he handled those conversations, those early conversations are going to have a huge impact on how teams view him going forward. So I, I kind of feel like to assess how his, how this affects him from a draft stock perspective, we, we kind of need some of that to start leaking out to get a better sense of how he and his agents have handled it. Cause like I said, it could, it could mean almost nothing in terms of his NFL career, or it could be a huge deal. I mean, if, if he, you know, if he was lying about this to teams already, that's, I mean, at a minimum, it's going to make teams at the very top of the draft really hesitant to trust him. I would, I would think. Yeah. Agreed. It definitely adds noise to the situation, but in the past, like you said, we've seen teams take these guys with character concerns. They're worried about them, how good of a talent they are, and they're worried about the production on the football field. So he's probably not going to go number one overall, but he's definitely still going to be in the top 10 in my imagination. Yeah, I think I would probably lean towards saying he stays in the top 10 for now. But again, it's just we're, we're going to have right. to hear a little bit about more how he handled these first right before the charges were filed and immediately after how he handled those conversations with teams, I think we'll get a better sense of it. If it comes out, you know, if it starts leaking out that like some team was like, yeah, we talked to him like within the 24 hours before that we asked him like, is there, you know, we asked him about his character criminals when I, if he, if he lied to our face and said, there's nothing that, that could immediately take a team, maybe not to remove him from their board, but if there's a team, you know, let's say he was talking to the Bears and he like lied to them straight, just purely using that as an example, since they're obviously a team that would consider drafting right. him. They could certainly say like, yeah, no, not no, we're not spending a top ten pick on a guy that just lied to our face. Like that, that could have that type of an impact, but it's certainly not going to have an impact where like he goes undrafted or something like that. That would really shock me, right. um, just because the chart, the charges are not going to affect his football career. It's, it seems like at this point. So I, I wouldn't expect him to have a that huge of an impact. Yep, I totally agree. So let's get to your first mock draft. We You did the first mock draft with no pr trades projected. So you've got the Bears choosing number one. Let's discuss that first, and then we'll discuss the potential of trades after that. So first overall, you've got Will Anderson going to the Bears. Then you have the Texans 
selecting Bryce Young, the Cardinals selecting Tyree Wilson, the Colts selecting CJ Stroud and getting their young quarterback. And you've got the Seahawks going with Jalen Carter. So even prior Monday, you had Carter going fifth. Where yeah, I had him Car- mocked first and a few others around the league. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had Carter going a little bit later than others. It's mostly just, it's not because I view him less than others do as a prospect, I don't think. It's really just about positional value. Like, I think that a lot of times fans and, you know, even those of us in the media covering this, we can get caught up in a player's ceiling. And if Jalen Carter hits his ceiling, if you have a truly elite disruptor on the interior of your defensive line, that probably is more valuable than an elite edge rusher. Like to have someone who can create consistent pressure up the middle because it's a little bit more rare. Like you can, you can build a really good pass rush without, you know, one of the top five pass rushers in the league, but if but you can't build a great interior pass rush, unless you have like an Aaron Donald in the middle, the like one you, of you, one, right? Yeah, he's the you one, need of one. one of those. Yeah. So if Jalen Carter's that, then he's worth the number one overall pick, but the way I like to view the draft and the way I, I think probably all 32 GMs would echo some version of this is you can't purely draft off ceiling because nobody hits their ceiling. Even, you know, all pros and hall of famers, like most of them fall short of their ceiling. They may hit their ceiling for like, you know, a one, two, three year stretch, but for the most part, you're not getting a player's ceiling. You got to assume you're getting like 80% of that because that's where most good players land. And 80% of Jalen Carter's ceiling is just, it's not a truly unique, special Aaron Donald type player. And so like, if you're not getting crazy pass rush production from a defensive tackle, he just doesn't have the value of an edge rusher. And the other, the other factor there is it's much easier to project a top tier edge rusher than it is an interior pass rusher. Like a player like Will Anderson he was the best pass rusher in the SEC as a true freshman. Like that, he's not going to fail unless the, unless there's just like you know work ethic issues or whatnot that we're just completely unaware of. That guy doesn't fail. Like you, you can feel really confident. I'm going to get at least eighty percent of this player's ceiling, and that's a really good NFL player. So that type of player, I think, is just so much more likely to get drafted ahead of a guy like Jalen Carter. Even though I I do think Carter's great. Like he is the top interior pass rusher in this class he probably will be a very good player but i just don't think that most gms are going to i don't think most gms are going to go for that type of player when there's an elite pass rusher on the board and there might even be two uh, tyree wilson i have him going third overall the cardinals right now he's I'm, I'm a little bit more willing to trust will anderson because as i said like he was a dominant player from his freshman year in the sec tyree wilson took a little bit longer to develop but uh, he was an absolute stud, absolutely on Will Anderson's level this past season. So, you know, a six foot six pass rusher with proven production, even if it is just one year, that guy is also going to get drafted really, really high. Right. Yeah. So, uh, currently the Bears are picking first. Maybe they trade the pick, maybe they don't. But Will Anderson is currently uh, plus 1500 to go get drafted first overall. And Tyree Wilson is plus 100 to to go first overall do you, do you see any value on either sprinkling a little money early on in the process here probably more likely on will anderson is there the range of him being selected first is higher in the range of outcomes 
Yeah, I mean, those numbers are so big. It's not crazy to throw a little bit of something on it because maybe the Bears stay put. I I think the – well, first of all, let me say the reason why I chose to not predict a draft – there's sort of two reasons. One, I prefer not to predict trades in mock drafts because, yeah, we think the Bears are going to trade, but, like, who's it going to be? Like, I could list six teams that are probably, probably having six, conversations. Correct. Yeah, that are probably having conversations at least. And so like, I'm even if I predict a trade, like I'm not going to correctly predict the team that does it. And then you just start creating like crazy scenarios. And especially in this case where even if the bears trade, it probably like a trade could happen and I might still have like a pretty, essentially the same mock draft, right? Like the bears move down a little bit and that bumps the quarterbacks up, but then like the bears could still end up with Will Anderson. Like the players could still kind of still go to the same team. So I think it's a little bit easier to do mock drafts this way. Now for, a, if a trade doesn't happen, I think the reason that might not happen would probably be a case of none of the teams are that in love with one of these quarterbacks, which is within the realm of possibility. That's why I, I wouldn't, even though like, of course the bears want to trade down. There is a sliver of a chance that it doesn't happen because there isn't, you know, neither Bryce Young or CJ Stroud and certainly not Levis or Richardson are that like, you got to get this guy number one overall pick, like sacrifice, whatever it takes to get him. Neither one of those guys at the top of the quarterback board are that type of player. I like both Young and Stroud. I think that they're a good bet to at least be good NFL quarterbacks but the odds of them hitting like a perennial all pro type of ceiling for either one of them you know it's they're not like on a they're not on a Trevor Lawrence level I, honestly I, I'm not sure that I would even like view either one of them the same as I did Justin Fields a couple of years ago who I thought was you know a, a tick below Lawrence as a prospect but still like a, a really special prospect I'm not sure either one of those guys are up at that level they're kind of like yeah, they're worth a top 10 pick, but they're not like sacrifice everything to get to number one to get them. So maybe the Bears just say, you know what, like, let's, let's just, these, these offers are underwhelming. Maybe we'll just take a, a potentially really special pass rusher at number one. So yeah, because those numbers are so big, you could justify throwing a little something on it. Cool. Yeah, so let, let's get to the quarterbacks. There's probably two tiers of quarterbacks. You've got Stroud and Young in the top tier, and then you've got uh, an interesting tier of what do we have here with Levis and Richardson, right? So where do you think these quarterbacks might go? Who's looking for quarterbacks, and how do you think this the order might shake out? Yeah, so as I have it now, I have, like you said, I have Young going number two to the Texans, Stroud four to the Colts, and, you know, either one of those guys could go number one overall in a trade. Then I have the Raiders taking Levis at seven. And then the Lions at, what's their pick? 18th. I have them taking Anthony Richardson. And that could be they wait until 18 to pick him or they could trade up. They have the ability, they have the draft capital to potentially use that sixth overall pick and then also use that second pick to trade up if they decide that they want to go and get Richardson or Levis if Levis slides a little bit. And... Yeah, I mean, I think Stroud and Young are going to be top five picks. There's enough teams that need quarterbacks. You know, even if, you know, the crazy scenario happens and the Bears decide to keep number one, I, I think s still both of those guys are going to go in the top five because they're 
they're both relatively polished already. Like, I don't know that their ceiling is, I don't think the odds of them being like hall of fame type quarterbacks are as good as, like I said, like someone like Lawrence or someone with like the crazy athleticism of fields. Like they're not quite on that level as prospects, but both of them are like, they're such good decision makers already. And I think that that allows you to overlook some of the other stuff. Like with, um, with Bryce Young, obviously the big question mark is like, he's kind of small. His arm is good, but it's not special. Is he going to be able to hold up as a runner? Like, and I think he's also probably, there's a little bit of, you know, we've seen Kyler Murray in Arizona be okay. He's been, you know, really good in certain games and he's, his size has probably held him back. Banged up all the time. He's exactly, he's injured. And so I think, you know, looking at young and seeing a guy who's not, first of all, not the athlete that Murray is overall, he's a good athlete, but he's not, Murray is definitely in a tier above him in terms of mobility and elusiveness, seeing how that career has played out. Like that's gotta be in the back of mind, the mind of teams. And so you, you gotta factor that in as you're trying to gauge the likelihood that this guy is a truly a special difference maker. And then with Stroud, I think where he differs from young a little bit is he's maybe a, li- a little bit less polished, a little bit less of an athlete, maybe, although I think Ohio state's offense probably made him, gave him fewer opportunities to showcase his athletic ability. If you watched him against uh, Georgia in the playoff this year, obviously you saw a couple plays here and there where he kind of showed you like, yeah, when, when he's fully unleashed, he's got that in him. He had some really special plays in that game. So I think Stroud probably has a higher ceiling than young, but he's a little bit less polished. So like maybe, Maybe he's a little bit more dependent on like being surrounded by a good supporting cast, a good coaching staff early in his career to like get him up to speed. And then, you know, like you talked about, you said you mentioned these guys are in different tiers. Clearly, that's the top tier. Levis is in the next tier as a guy who is I don't I haven't quite figured out the right way to describe him. He like because he is kind of good at everything. Like I, I can't really point to anything where I'm just like, yikes, that's that's a really big problem. But I also can't point to anything where I'm like, wow, like that that alone is going to cover up for mistakes. Like he's a good athlete. He's not a great athlete. He's got a good his arm strength is probably the biggest thing that you could point to is like something right. that is a borderline special trait. But like then his accuracy is shaky, but it's not horrible. And so like that type of player is just like, ah, do you like, yeah, he can probably start in the league and he'll probably look like Mitch Trubisky. And maybe if you put him around a really good coach and a really good supporting cast, he can get to a higher level than that. But like chances are you're going to get a guy who's just a, uh, yeah, you're okay with him starting for you for a few years, but it's, uh, you really got to stretch to like convince yourself like, yeah, this is definitely the guy. So, I mean, that's why I have him to a team like the Raiders. Like, they're kind of feeling desperate. They haven't been yeah. good in a long time. So, like, the Raiders, or maybe he slides a little bit further to the Panthers. One of those teams that's, like, feels like we just have to do something. Like, they have that desperation. We, we need a rookie quarterback, or we need a quarterback on a rookie contract because they're going to be as good as or the same as what we have. So, let's just save the salary. Exactly. Like, one of those teams is – I, I think it's totally realistic that he goes in the top 10 because there are those two specific teams out there basically 
that could feel desperate. And then Richardson, like Richardson's not even in a tier. Like I, you, can't, you can't even compare him to anyone else that we've ever seen go in the first round because as a quarterback, purely as a pocket passer, he is absolutely horrible. We've like, he is so bad. I mean, the closest comparison that you can make to a guy who entered the league with these types of flaws and had success is obviously Josh Allen because he entered the league with some flaws. The big difference though, is that Josh Allen had huge, like disgusting mistakes, but also incredible plays with his arm, with his arm. And Richardson has disgusting, hideous mistakes with his arm, incredible plays with his legs. And so that's, that's an even harder transition to make because at least with Josh Allen, like if you just watched the highlights, you could talk yourself into it. And obviously the bills did a spectacular job of like creating stability around him and giving him the same, same offensive coordinator, same coaching staff, same quarterbacks coach for four years and brought him along slowly. Like they did everything right in developing him. And obviously Josh Allen, you know, obviously had the work ethic to take advantage of that. Like, so yeah, theoretically, it can be done, but I think Richardson is even below that in terms of readiness because just he, he only has one year as a starter and man, as a passer, he's so bad Like he just doesn't, you get any type of pressure on him and he is completely clueless. He doesn't know how to read the defense after the snap. He's got a big arm. He's got, he's got like Michael Vick, Lamar Jackson legs. Uh, he he but, is electric with his legs. Right. And I think that's yeah. the thing that some of these teams see and if they could ever teach him to throw and make decisions, he's probably got the highest ceiling because he's the only athlete out of these guys that can run and take off on design runs and add that extra element to the, to the offense. So I, I see a team take reaching on him, taking a flyer because the upside is there. So I, I see the, the lions make a perfect fit because they've got golf for this year. Mm-hmm. And then they can just start molding him over time. And I, I think he's going to get some steam come draft time. Yeah. It's in like the lions right now seem like such an obvious, like that was a pretty easy decision for me in my mock draft, because as you said, they have Goff. they also have two first round picks. So it's not like they're bringing him in as like the face of this draft. They're going to bring in somebody else with the sixth pick most likely who is going to come in and produce right away. Like they'll get some production out of, this first round without anything from Richardson. It just seems to make sense, but look at like, if they decide they don't like him, like that's, there are certain teams that are going to have a much lower grade on him because he is so raw. And if the Lions are one of those teams, I, I don't know. Do you think you see another team that could take him in the first round? It's it's, I have, I have a hard time seeing that. Frank Reich. He, the, the Panthers strike me as a team that would, take that shot. They've been lacking that quarterback talent since Cam Newton. So why not make this guy the face of their franchise? That That's one that jumps out at me. That one is certainly, I could certainly see that from the ownership perspective because Tepper is obviously desperate. You know, he, they wants, are. A, he wants a quarterback. Like obviously they've been, we know that for a fact that they've put in trade offers for all of the quarterback Wilson Stafford, like everybody Watson, obviously they were in on that. Like they're, they were in the mix for all of those guys. I'm trying to pull up, see if I can find this list. 
of Frank Reich's quarterbacks. I thought I wrote it down somewhere. I'm not able to find it. Because he is interesting. He just hasn't. Here we go. So Frank Reich's, the, the quarterbacks that he's primarily worked with are Philip Rivers, Carson Wentz, Andrew Luck, Jacoby Brissett. Those guys are polar opposites of Anthony Richardson. <laughs> and his quarterback's coach is Josh McCown, who has never coached. So, like, what would make you think that that duo is going to – or and then they just – who's – did they hire Caldwell as their offensive coordinator? Who did they I just hire? I can't remember. Let me make sure I get that right. Or was it Jim? No, Thomas, Thomas Brown. They were interviewing okay. Caldwell, but they hired Thomas Brown. Who and this is his first experience as an offensive coordinator, I believe, right? Yeah. So his first experience in the NFL as an offensive coordinator. And obviously his background as a position coach is as, you know, he was a running back and his background as a position coach is as a running back. So you've got an OC with very little experience. You've got a quarterback coach with no experience and you have a head coach with a track record of working with good quarterbacks, but absolutely zero track record of working with quarterbacks with mobility and certainly nothing even remotely close to what Anthony Richardson is. So can those guys design an offense around Anthony Richardson? I wouldn't, that's not who I would want. So like, yeah, maybe Tepper might want him. Tepper might force them to pull the trigger on that. Um, but it doesn't, it doesn't seem like a good situation. Like there's a lot of, I would expect there to be a lot of voices in the room telling Tepper otherwise, because those guys that has not been the track record of any of those guys. And do you as as see me. that as part of the reason they're having another day of talks with Derek Carr? That's, that's more the model of quarterback Reich is used to the whole organization can probably fit into their scheme a little bit easier. It would probably be a lot easier for the coaching staff for sure. And I, but I also think a big factor there is that Tepper wants to win now. Like he doesn't just want a court. Like he, right. he might want Richardson. He might be enamored with him. if like, they still don't have a quarterback on draft day, but like he also would much prefer to bring in somebody who can help them win right now. And, you know, they've got, some decent pieces on defense. Like if you could, you know, have add car and a few free agents to, you know, rebuild the offense a bit, like, yeah, sure. That they could sneak into the playoffs. They were a fourth quarter. Yeah. They were a fourth quarter disaster away from winning the division uh, where they blew a lead to Tom Brady last year. And that was with Sam Darnold, Baker Mm -hmm. Mayfield at quarterback. So they've got a bunch of good pieces on defense. Yeah. That division's there for the taking. So, Maybe they do look the veteran route, even though that's where they went every year. So let, let's transition from quarterbacks to wide receivers. You have five in the top first round. There's no elite talents. You don't have any in the top 10. But do you think we'll see some of these guys hit the later round Later round one? Uh, last year, we saw after free, free agency and the contracts that these guys are signing that wide receivers got pushed up in the draft. This year, there's no no really high-profile, talented wide receivers. Do you think we might see more than these five names jump into the first round? Of So the five that I have in the first round, Jordan Addison, Jalen Hyatt, Quentin Richards, Quentin Johnson, uh, Jackson Smith and Jigba, and Josh Downs. Those are the five that I have. I think the other guy that – or I guess there's two others that could sneak in. Cedric Tillman from Tennessee – and uh, Zay Flowers from Boston College. 
Um, in fact, just yesterday I was digging a little deeper and watching some of the receivers. And I, I think I, I think I see maybe a stronger argument for Cedric Tillman sneaking in there just in terms of the skill set. We'll, we'll see how he runs. Um, he dealt with an ankle hit ankle surgery this past season. And so that's sort of hanging over his head right now. But if he run, I don't know for sure. I don't know if he said whether or not he's going to run the combine, but he returned late in the season. So I would expect him to, um, if not the combine, certainly run at his pro day. So once we see him run, that would potentially boost my confidence in him sneaking in there as another guy that has serious first round potential. I think that there is going to be like, none of these guys are special. Like, Garrett Wilson, uh, Chris Olave, I thought were special prospects last Drake year. London. And I and I had I I personally graded Drank London a little bit lower than that. He was number four on my list. But yeah, obviously, I mean he went in the top ten. Obviously, there were people who viewed him as a truly special prospect. And I, I really liked Traylon Burks a lot last year, too. Uh kind of a notch below Wilson and Olave on my personal board. I probably won't have anybody graded this year. I certainly won't have anyone graded as high as Wilson and Lalave, and I might not have anyone graded even as high as I had Traylon Burks last year. Like a lot of these guys are the types of players who have a, an obvious strength and an obvious weakness. I think the most polished of the group is probably Smith and Jigba, who was dominant lined up on the, in the slot on the outside. But even with him, you know, you can point to a lack of true pure speed as like a weakness with him. Like he does not have like, like Garrett Wilson and could just take the top off. Like he could do everything and Smith and Jigba could do, and he could just straight up run past you. And Smith and Jigba is not that. I think he's very similar to Wilson in every other way, but you, you know, pure speed matters at times. And so like that has to knock him down a slight, a you know, a little bit in terms of, you know, comparing those two as prospects, but he's so efficient as a route runner. He's got great hands. Like he could, I can't remember what Amari Cooper ran as far as his 40 time back when he came out, but so within Jigba could certainly be that type of player. And, you know, especially when, when he, Cooper was in Dallas, like we saw hit the ability for them to put him in the slot and outside and for him to just create such easy separation, even on shorter routes, like that, that you know nobody would have ever argued that he was like the number one receiver in the league like he just wasn't that type of crazy playmaker but that's so valuable i mean he was so valuable to those cowboys offenses when he, he was on the field. field yeah yeah to have that type of guy who runs such perfect routes that can get open on any type of route essentially there's so much value in that that i think smith and jigba is probably the safest bet of any of these guys to go in the first round because the other guys they all have slightly more obvious flaws like with Smith and Jigba with speed being the flaw that's also something that you can cover up by being such a great route runner and so I think he has that uh like Quentin Johnson for example certainly looks like a number one receiver he has the size and I think he's probably going to test really well he's going to have the measurables but then when you watch his routes they're kind of sloppy at times and he has no idea how to use his size like he does not come down with the contested catches in traffic to the at the rate that you would expect you can pull up a highlight reel and see him do it so he has that ability he might develop it but there's a lot of you know sloppy sloppy chances that he gets that he blows and he has some bad drops like he does not have the same hands as really any anybody else all the other guys have pretty reliable hands and johnson sticks out as a guy who that's a significant weakness for him and 
you know, then like Josh Downs and you know, Jalen Hyatt, like they're they're small. They've mostly played in the slot. Hyatt's got special speed. So like all, all of these guys have like, you know, like you can point to a specific role where you can plug him into your offense, but they just don't have like that totally well-rounded game. But I, I think all of these guys are really strong cases to go in the first round because someone is going to talk themselves into each one of them based on, hey, we need that, like we need some speed in the slot. Like Jalen Hyatt's number one on our board. Or someone's going to be like, hey, we just have to get bigger at receiver. Let's go get Quentin Johnson and try to develop him. Like there's going to be different teams with different guys. You know, they're all going to have different orders and how they rank these top six to eight guys. But because each team could you know, there's going to be a bunch of teams making a strong argument for each one of these guys. I think that for that reason, we probably see a run on receivers go in the first round because just every team has slightly different needs and they're going to fall in love with different guys for different reasons. And probably the back half of the first round, because like you said, none mm-hmm. of these guys check all the boxes of these are for sure hit wide receivers, but they're all going to be NFL caliber wide receivers for the, for the most part there. Uh, currently Jordan Addison is plus 260 to be the first wide receiver drafted. Do you see a tiny bit of value in that number with no, <laughs> no, no, I don't, I don't think so. No? Okay. I, yeah. I think the more I, after look, looking a little bit deeper at these wide receivers, it's hard to see any value. Like Addison could be the number one guy, but I think it's gonna. It's so dependent on which team decides to be the first team to take a receiver. It's really hard to say that this, you know, so and so is the consensus number one. I, I don't know that we're ever gonna be able to say that. The, the only reason we, we might be able to say that there is a consensus number one come draft time would maybe be if Jackson Smith and Jigba decides to run the forty at some point, which unfortunately is not going to do at the combine, which is maybe a little bit of a red flag. Um, but we'll see Ohio state. It's, it's worth noting Ohio state is notorious for producing very fast pro day times. So right. knowing that speed isn't his strength, he may say, you know, I'm, I'm only going to, at best, I'm going to run a four, four, five. Like wh- why even put that out there when maybe on a faster track, I can put like a four, four, Oh, out there. <laughs> like, I, I think you're being optimistic with four, four, five at the combine. Yeah. I yeah. I mean, maybe or like I think that's probably the case but it's we're not we're also we're not expecting him to run a 4 right. 4 or a four, get right. into the 4-3 is like he clearly can't do that and yet he still you know was a pretty special player when he was on the field at Ohio State so like that if he surprises us with a really good time that would be the one case where maybe we do end up with a consensus number one because if on top of everything else that he does well he runs faster than we expected. Maybe he separates himself, but everybody else, there's nothing that they can do. Like Jalen Hyatt's going to run really fast, but like no shit. Knew, like, you know I watched fast. you play already. Like you're fast. Yeah. Uh, and you know, Quentin Johnson, like hit too. Like his the number that he posts, it's not going to be as fast as Hyatt, but it's going to be really good for his size. Right. But we already know that. Like we've seen him do that. So I don't see any of these guys doing anything to solidify themselves as like the wide receiver one in this class from a consensus standpoint. So it's, uh, it's, it's really hard to see much value in any of those. Although I can't, is there a lot number for Cedric Tillman? You might I not have that in front of one. you. Yeah, there might not even be one for yeah. him because he is not even appearing in the first round of a lot of 
black drafts, but he, that's an interesting one because from a physical standpoint, he like his build and whatnot, he can certainly match Quentin Johnston. Like he's that type of player. He's probably not going to run as fast as Johnston. I don't think, but that's another case where like he, he was used in the, uh, as a deep threat at Tennessee a lot. And he also actually knows how to use his size and can win those downfield balls. If he doesn't create a ton of separation, if he, if he were to run really fast and look fully healed from that ankle injury, I mean, we're only like uh, eight months removed from him being in the conversation for being wide receiver one in this class. So if he looks fully healthy. If he runs a little faster than we expected, he could surprisingly enter that conversation, especially if he, like he's going to draw direct comparisons for teams to Quentin Johnson. And yet he's more polished than Johnson. So if he comes out and he puts up similar testing numbers, suddenly teams are going to say like, hold on a second. He was more, much more productive than Johnson at his peak. Cause two years ago, there was like Tillman was an absolute stud. If he has similar testing numbers to back that up, I think suddenly he's going to start rising on board. So if I don't, I don't even know if there's a line out there for him as to go first wide receiver off the board, but if there is that, that might be a guy lower down the board. There could be some value. Okay. We're running a little long. Let's get you out with some quick hitters here. One wide receiver that comes from out of nowhere that, out of nowhere that makes a name for himself at the combine this week. Ooh, from out of nowhere. I that doesn't even have to be out of nowhere. Out yeah. of the out of, for top two rounds. I guess the one that I'm most excited, I'm probably gonna mispronounce his last name, Andre Yasivas, maybe. Do you know how to pronounce his name? The Princeton wide receiver? No, no idea. He's got good size. Obviously, we haven't really seen him against top competition so it's even when watching his film it's like it's a little harder to gauge speed there so i'm curious to see i believe he's listed at six three though so like if he comes out and runs really well and he was extremely productive in that offense it sounds like he's expected to run pretty well if he puts up like if he's among the top tier of receivers in terms of like size speed combination he's going to start to generate a lot of headlines because obviously his name is not being talked about a ton just given the fact that he played at princeton but it's it's pretty clear that he's going to be uh he's going to come off the board on day two and if he puts up some really awesome numbers of the combine maybe he's maybe he even enters the back end of round one conversation or but he, he certainly has the potential to lock up like an early day two type of slot perfect uh Steeler fans out there, you've got Joey Porter Jr. Realistic or wishful thinking? I think it's very realistic. This is like, a obviously, like when putting together mock drafts, it can be tempting to like follow storylines and whatnot and do this. But in this case, I think it's it's very realistic because the Steelers are kind of a unique organization in terms of like, they, they like to keep it in the family. Like if you're part of the Steelers, like the Roonies really run that organization like a family and they make, when, when everything else is equal, they will do some sentimental things. Like we saw, I mean, just last year taking Kenny Pickett, like with him being a local, having played at Pitt, right. like that, that was, there was probably, that was swayed a little bit by, you know, the sentimental value of that. James, when they took James Conner and obviously like the great storyline of him uh, coming back from cancer and playing at Pitt and all he went through in college to overcome that, like that, that probably like, they could justify taking a running back, but like that probably swayed them towards Connor a little bit. And then last year, um, 
Cam, they when they drafted Cam Hayward's brother Connor, like that kind of came, like he was not guaranteed to hear his name called at all. Like, and he he ended up playing. Like they obviously had a plan for him. It wasn't purely a sentimental pick, but like that had to factor in. Like it, he's got a different last name on his jersey. Like he didn't do anything at Michigan State as a running back to make you think that like yeah, right. like he's gonna come in and play tight end for us. Like. That, that had to factor in. So I, I think that the fact that they need a cornerback, the fact that Joey Porter is a viable top 20 pick, that that has to be a strong possibility if he's on the board. Yeah, and the Steelers fans would love that too. Yeah. So, uh, let's go to my beloved Eagles. You've got them projected to pick Bijan Robinson in the first round. I, I don't know if he makes it to 30, but in Howie Roseman, uh, how he's acted in the past, maybe he moves up past the Cowboys to take Bijan Robinson right in front of them. Do you see the Eagles drafting a running back in the first round? It's a tricky one because following Howie Roseman's draft history, you would think that he probably falls into the category of someone who doesn't value running backs as much. I think we can say that with pretty high degree of confidence. Like he is a pretty forward thinker in terms of He's, he's one of the guys that doesn't overspend at positions like running back, linebacker. Like he, he uses his resources the way a lot of like the analytics guys would tell you to use them. Like he's definitely bought into that line of thinking, but like these guys are also humans and they adjust based on their scenario. So like, I don't think any GM out there would tell you you're never going to draft a running back in the first round. We're never drafting a linebacker. They might say that we're usually not going to go that route because our roster usually is going to dictate that we have to value other positions more. But you're also usually not the defending NFC champs with virtually no holes on your roster. So I do think that you can make a strong argument that this is a great time for them to draft a running back because uh, I personally, I'm not, I know some people will say like, yeah, no matter what, never draft running back in the first round. I'm certainly on board with all the reasons why we've devalued the position, but I don't agree with that. I think at the back end of the first round, running back is perfectly legitimate because running back more so than any other position, you are drafting a fully formed NFL starter. Like if you draft Bijan Robinson, he could very realistically be one of the top 10 players at his position next year. And yeah, you're paying him a decent amount as a first round pick, but you're not paying him like a top 10 running back. If you're drafting him 30th overall, correct. You're paying him. Like I looked up. uh, It's not bad. It's, it's in line and you're getting production day one. You're getting a mm-hmm. Kenny Gainwell's prop. I'm a Kenny Gainwell fan. He's, he's not ready to hundred carries a year. You're getting the guy that when you're yeah. in a close game, he's going to hold, hold the ball. And Yeah. So as a comparison, a few years ago, Clyde Edwards, Alaire was the, I believe it was the 30th or the third. No, he was the last pick 32nd overall pick. Yeah. And he's going to have the 19th highest cap hit at running back in the league this year. Now he hasn't quite panned out. John Robinson is better than Clyde Edwards. Yeah, that was a case of the chiefs reaching. Like we were, we were kind of surprised to hear right. it was. Clyde Edwards layer sneak in there, but Bijan Robinson is obviously a much better prospect than that. But just like throwing that out there in terms of like the type, like what you're paying that guy, like that's totally reasonable to direct to, pay him like a top 20 player at his position because he will be a top 20 player like right out of the gate really good offensive line and Bijan doesn't have a ton of speed but Mm -hmm. 
if he finds some holes, he's that that's a perfect scenario for him to go to as well. Yeah, I, I mentioned that, that in my mock draft. I don't have the numbers right in front of me, but the Eagles run ran their running backs between the tackles at one of the highest rates in the league. And that's perfect. That's what Bijan Robinson is best at. He doesn't have that burner speed to the outside, but for the way that the Eagles used Sanders last year, Robinson will probably be a better version of that right out of the gate. And so I think it's totally justified. And the other factor in there is you get five years as opposed to drafting someone in the, on day two. Where you and the fifth four year years. isn't awful either, as we just saw with Saquon yeah. Barkley's deal. It's, yeah. It's if, if he's a top tier running back, you're going to, you know, you're going to pay him well in that fifth year, but is, you know, he's at that point, you've decided that he's worth it. And then he's 26 years old. And if you say, Hey, our roster is not at the spot where we need to be paying him, then let him go and get a compensation pick. Like you can five years. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. You got five good years out of him, and you can move on before you have to pay him real money. If you need to do that. Like that's, I, I think it's totally, I think, as long as you're in the Eagles situation where like most of your roster is already set, it's totally justifiable to do that. So I, I do think that's a realistic option for them. Perfect. No, I think that's a great opening show for the the draft coming up and obviously things will change after the combine and free agency, but I think that was a great opener. Yeah. Thanks for joining me, Curtis. This was yeah, fun. Thanks. thanks for having me.